We are glad to have with us Dr. Daphne DeMarneth, a psychologist and author. In her clinical practice, she offers psychotherapy to couples and individuals. She teaches and lectures widely on marriage, couple therapy, adult development and parenthood. And her work has been featured in the New York Times, NPR and Talks at Google. She and her husband have three children and they live in San Francisco Bay Area. Today, she's going to share more about her latest book, The Ralph Patch. So, Daphne, could you tell us how you came to write The Ralph Patch? So, I see a lot of couples in my couple therapy practice. I am a clinical psychologist. I work in the San Francisco Bay Area, and I see a lot of couples and a lot of adult individuals in my work. And it's very personal to me. I mean, I grew up uh, in a family, a loving family, but my parents divorced and I was always fascinated with marriage. Um, Mm. And I have been married myself for almost 30 years and have three children. And so my work and my life are very intertwined in terms of how I discover things, how I explore things, how I test ideas, because I'm living it as well as working in the, in the tilling the fields of, of marriages. Um, and what I was finding, I wrote a book on motherhood uh, several years ago. Oh. And I, after that, I, I you know, I, I wrote it because I was interested in motherhood because I'd become a mother. And I was very interested in the psychology oh. of motherhood, and okay. the culture around motherhood in the U.S. and mm. how guilty women felt and how confused mm. yeah. felt about their identities. So after doing that, I just started seeing more couples because I'd been married a while myself. I found it really fascinating mm. to think about couple mm. relationships. And I was in my early 40s, and I would find that all these couples came through who were really in kind of a, uh, a, a bit of a crisis, that they felt they'd built a structure for their lives. You know, they had married, they had a job, they had a house, yes. they had children, and they were kind of looking around thinking, is this all there is? You know, or that there were emotional patterns in the relationship that kept wearing on them and being difficult, but they didn't really have a way to think about it. And so I felt that this was actually not an unusual experience for people to come to a point in their relationship where they felt maybe it needed to go deeper, or maybe they were feeling more distant, or maybe they felt that every time they tried to go deeper and have a more serious or deep conversation about something that really mattered to them emotionally, it wouldn't work. And that, that it would be a bad communication and it would make things worse. And so I really thought I wanted to in a sense, normalize this for people to say, here we are all living longer than ever. And and many of us have the ideal and aspiration to have a deeply meaningful, intimate relationship with another person. And that's not easy to accomplish because we all have baggage from our pasts, things that have happened to us. So I wanted to give people um, a framework for thinking about those problems that help them not feel ashamed, Mm. not feel that they had, you know, you know, that, that it was their special problem, giving them some companionship right. in what's often a very yeah. private and painful situation. Uh, yes. so I really try to talk about many of the difficulties that couples come across and how mm. to talk about them in a way that helps take you mm. to a better place. Wow. Okay. And therefore, the birth of uh, the rough patch, would you say that? Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I, I love to write and I've always been a writer. Um, and uh, I think in in language, as many of us do. And so I just started kind of collecting ideas and collecting 
mm. stories. And I think for me personally, other than, you know, having people benefit from the book, which is very rewarding for me personally, it also very much honed my, my clinical ideas about what helps people and also yeah. what people need in relationships and how to help them get that. So I feel I'm a better, a better therapist having written the book. Mm, okay. And also, I mean, um, why rough patch? I, 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 I read a little bit about that, but I thought it'd be nice to hear from you. Why the rough patch? Because that was an interesting title. Well, it's funny. I have a beloved uh, literary agent who sold my first book, and I was telling her many, many years ago that I had this idea about a book that oh. talks about structure and passion in relationships and how people need okay. structure and they also need passion mm. and how do these things go together. And in midlife, people often end up finding that it's hard to put them together. And she said, I know, we'll call it the rough patch. <laughs> oh, <laughs> That was probably back in... 2006 Whoa. maybe so the whole time i'm raising my children i'm working as a clinician i'm thinking about these ideas and and this this book idea went through many many stages but it always oh. had this title and so mm. the reason for the title other than that she coined it and i trusted her was that we were trying to use a familiar and idiomatic expression because in in in, mm. in English language, people call, talk about rough patches uh, in, 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 in relationships in particular, but also in other areas. And, and the, the idea there is that it's a patch. It's you come out of it. There's a way to come out of it. You're having a tough time, but, 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 but you can get to the other side. And I thought that that was a feeling I wanted to evoke in people that, you know, there are normal and normative struggles that you go through. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you can't get through it. It's something mm -hmm. that hopefully you can use to grow. Um, so I think it's, it's, both, it's both acknowledging the difficulty and also giving hope. Well, you really inspire me because I love writing too. So I always had this idea like you very much like, you know, 2005, what I want to write. Mm -hmm. And I, I would have like one day, oh, I want to write three books, you know, <laughs> and I, I mean, about my work mm -hmm. and, and, you know, how to help people very much like you. Uh, so I'd like to just ask, you know, there are two concepts that um, in a book that really caught my attention, the seesaw and the golden ring. Mm -hmm. I really liked it. You know, how did it come about? And could you explain um, how do they facilitate better communication? Okay, sure. I'll yeah. try. And I, I, at the end of it, I want you to tell me what you liked about these ideas and what you want to talk about them. So these are not ideas that are original to me. I just use oh. metaphorical terms. And there's a lot of different uh, psychotherapists and psychologists who have thought about uh, oh, okay. this, this idea that in any relationship, we all struggle between a certain kind of egocentrism where we're sort of at the center of the universe with an, a relational attitude, which is that this other person that I'm in relation to is as much of a person as me with as complex a mind, with as complex feelings, with a, a, a deep personal history. And that even though, you know, we're always balancing in relationship, our own interests, <laughs> Right. And, and our own feelings of being cared for, loved, et cetera. Uh, you know, we're giving and we're receiving. 
people um, often because of the families they grew up in that did not model the most functional relationships, sometimes because of trauma, sometimes because of their own character structure. Some people find it very difficult to be able to have a mindset that there's two of us and, and our, both of our feelings are equally valid and important. And what happens sometimes and what I call the seesaw, and we can all get in the state of mind, by the way. Uh, some of us are there more than others. And therapy is certainly designed to help people be there as little as possible. But the basic mindset is your feelings cancel out mine. One, one of us um, is in a sense the winner and one in the loser in any emotional interaction. So I just saw an example of this yesterday in a couple that I saw. Uh, the man was talking about ways in which he felt hurt that his wife got mad at him. And she felt that she'd been trying very, very hard to not be mad at him and control herself. But when he said that, it was as if that canceled out all the complexity of the fact that she's a mixed bag, just like we all are. Sometimes she's nice, sometimes she's not so nice. And that she felt targeted and blamed and criticized and sort of summed up by his saying, I feel bad you're mad at me sometimes. She couldn't hold on to the big picture. So this is what I call the hot potato or the seesaw, where each person's lobbing at the other person. You're doing this to me. No, you're doing that to me. No, you're doing this to me. No, you're doing that to me. And every couple therapist and probably every married person is familiar with this phenomenon. The, the, mm. the golden ring, and that's the reason I use golden ring, is yes. golden ring. Yes. But the, the spatial metaphor there is that you both, both partners, instead of lobbing this hot potato or being on a seesaw, who's right, who's mm. wrong, who's getting, who's giving. They're both figuratively standing next to each other as friends, as collaborators, looking in front of them at the situation mm. that they're in. And they can both say, oh, isn't it sad? We get into this struggle, right, where, where you know, I start feeling because you're saying that there's something painful about our relationship, you think I'm a bad person. Yes, and I do that too. It's, in other words, the perspective shift of being able to stand together and look at the problem together and look at the relationship together as its own thing. That isn't, isn't, in, that isn't being, um, there's more than just the two individuals, right? There's the relationship mm. between them, the ring, and you can both have perspective on that. And, and so that's the basic idea. And I think that we all in every, um, we're all, we all have the capacity to do either but certain mm -hmm. sorts of situations drag us into that seesaw mindset. And I think it's very helpful for marriages, for relationships, for organizations to be aware. When is it that people start functioning in that more black and white, more who did what to whom mode? Mm -hmm. And when are they able to say, okay, we're all imperfect human beings. We all struggle. We're all a mixed bag, but we have good intentions and we're trying to work together to create something good. Mm, yeah. I mean, I really like um, the metaphor. In fact, I tested your idea to a few people. I said, what do you think when, you know, we say that uh, the communication is a seesaw? Oh, they say it's good because you're giving each other a chance to be up and I get a chance to be down. And I say, oh dear. I said, oh no, no, no. 
<laughs> but do you remember that when you're up, somebody has to be down? So what does that mean? So it was very interesting. So, oh, wow. I mean, the way we used to play seesaw is like, you know, is we want to be up. Actually, you think about it. We don't want to be down. And it takes a lot of effort for us to be not fully down, but giving each other the balance, you know. So I think that is, is a brilliant, I don't know, I think it's really a brilliant idea to, to help people to jot their assumption that how we communicate. And, and also, I like, I definitely like the idea of the golden ring. Uh, straight away, I think when we talk about golden ring, it's like, you know, it brings me to the memory of uh, when you say your vows, mm -hmm. right? To death do we part, to sickness, to health, to, you know, we all say that. But when it's the truth, you know, uh, what happens, right, along the journey. So I thought, um, you know, when, when we talk about these two ideas, um, like what you said, I mean, people are pulled into, you know, into this, uh, this situation where, I, I like what you say, we are all very, so complex, but at a point of tension, right, in communication. Um, could you tell me a little bit more, the golden ring concept, how does that facilitate better yeah. than the seesaw yeah. so, communication? So let's say two people are in conflict in an important relationship. Yes. So we all know that when we're in that state, we're not our best self, right? We're activated, we're, uh, you know, the adrenaline is pumping, we're actually physiologically not in a state to reflect. And so fights are fights and they're unskillful and messy because we're in that related yep. state. And it's always, I believe, a, a, due to a sense of threat, you know, that somehow on an emotional level, what's fascinating about marriages, the person you're close to is always so important to you in terms of how you are reflected in their eyes. And it never goes away. I mean, in a good relationship, you keep reflecting well in each other's eyes. But if you live with a person where you end up feeling bad about yourself, that you're seen as an unloved or unlovable or person, then there's always this need for, for emotional survival. So people, people get into a sense of threat and they start feeling, I believe, that they are seen by their significant other as unlovable or unloving. Okay. And then they flail around and start hurling stuff back and forth and it's messy. We know that, we know about fights, okay. The golden ring perspective isn't that you're never in a fight or you always have perspective or you're always mm -hmm. your best self. Because yeah. of course, none of us can be that person. It's yeah. that once you calm down, once your adrenaline is, you know, your, 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 your neurotransmitters have rebalanced themselves, mm -hmm. which sometimes yeah. takes a little while, you can ref you can come back you can circle back and you can do two things which i see as as kind of the wonder drugs of, of marriage or all relationships you can do these two things no matter how unskillful you've been you can repair one of them is self-awareness to know what you did and and why it felt the way it felt to the other person Right, people who can never apologize, people who always have to be right, people who always have to make the other one the bad guy, they're by definition not being self-aware because it always takes two to tango. It always takes two people. So for me to be able to say, you know what, I think I really said something that was um, insulting or I didn't mean to exaggerate so much or I understand 
why you felt that what I accused you of was unfair. That's, that's self-awareness. And the other part that's very closely related is self-responsibility to say, I understand what I did. I understand its impact and I am going to work not to do that anymore, you know, or I'm trying, or how can we talk about not getting into that stuck place? Mm-hmm. So, so that, what, what that is, is a, it's a perspective, right? It's like, I'm human, I'm fallible, I make mistakes, I am unfair sometimes, and I can reflect on that and apologize or acknowledge or recognize my impact. And I think that often in this seesaw mindset where people have to be right, people have, you know, there's a winner and a loser, they don't have that outside perspective. They can't stand and look at the whole thing, the relationship and their part in it. And so um, I really try to emphasize to people, this is not about being a perfect person. This is about mm-hmm. being able to circle back and repair. Mm. And so ask yourself, if your relationship isn't going as well as you want it to, uh, mm-hmm. ask yourself, are you truly acknowledging the impact of your own behavior, emotional expression, and actions. And if, if both people can do that, I believe there's huge potential. Of course, it's very problematic when one person can do it and the other can't. In those couples, what you often end up seeing is one person always has to apologize for the other person to feel good again, and it feels unfair. And that's the other thing I think is absolutely at the basis of a good relationship is a sense of fairness Mm. and justice that each person is Mm. taking responsibility for their own impact. Mm. Um, And in the seesaw mindset, often one person's always feeling victimized, right? Like you're doing these bad things to me um, and you need to apologize. And that's this kind of this. Certainly. And and I think I like to also bring about a more um, um, a question that I think will be very important. I, I see that when you say that important, they are important in the relationship. So I'm just going to give you a little bit of context about the business world, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, if you look at the business world, well, are you important to me in the relationship? But communication is so key in the business world. It's so key. I like to bring your concept into the business world to be able to communicate effectively. And I thought that would be an area I really like to expand on. How could we help people in the business world or the world of business to apply this concept? I mean, I like that, that part about your, you know, circling back, you know, to repair the self-awareness, that self-responsibility. So if you could tell me a little bit, what do you think? Yeah, it's uh you're the expert on the business world and I'm not. <laughs> so, um, so I think it's complicated in a few different ways. And I, I just throw a few things out there and you, you tell sure. what you think. I mean, intimate relationships, family relationships share certain things in common with other roles in our lives and they mm-hmm. don't share other things. And so I think what's, what's tricky is I, I would imagine that the, the most skilled most inspired leaders that you know have some deep intuition about people. They know something about how to relate to people that works. I would imagine. I mean, 
I guess there's probably those autocratic people who, you know, have an iron fist and get people to do what they want. But I would imagine in your world, you're often very much thinking about how do people relate to each other in an effective and authentic and useful way to accomplish the goal. So I guess I feel that um, all these principles obtain, people want to be respected, people want to be seen, people want to be recognized, people want to feel that you can think about them, you can imagine being them, you can empathize with them, you can understand their situation. That just seems across the board in marriages and parenthood and work everywhere. But I guess it gets complicated too, because work, is a different animal it's a, it's we are we are collaborating <laughs> for this goal and in a way you want as 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 a worker you want to be able to tolerate i'm in a role here you know i'm not i'm not relaxing at home with my loved ones i'm in a role where there are certain expectations and certain rec reciprocity around if i do this for you you know transactional kind of uh aspect so i mean i i guess i would say the emo the the emotional principles obtained throughout life, but how they get applied in a work structure where people are really in roles and you aren't being your, you know, full self in some way. I mean, let's hope you feel it's very self-expressive and self and satisfying and fulfilling, but you know, you're being paid to do a job. And so, you know, how those two things fit together, I'm sure you've given much more thought to than than probably I have. Just hearing from what you have shared. Uh, earlier, and I think what you said uh, really hit the nail. Is that you know uh, people are in work is really I would say, uh, sadly, work is so important now because if you think about it, we spend most of our waking hours at work, mm -hmm. and and to me communication is so important. And of course, like what you have said, uh, in my personal uh, experiences as a executive coach as a, a champion of leadership development, uh, I want to bring back your concept that I thought that were really so important, is that how do we circle back to repair? And most of the time at work, it's about trust. Mm -hmm. And I know that is there is a lot of similarity, you know, uh, in marriages too, it's about trust. But I think far more, far more because at work, you really need to, to ask yourself this question, what do we have in common? Could I trust you? Could I trust you to know that you will take care of me? That in, in any, like in this COVID situation, you know, in, in the valleys, when we are in the valleys together, and, and in fact, uh, this is something that is very real happening in the organizations that I work with. How am I gonna tell my people that we are bust? We're bankrupt, or that nobody's flying now. So what do we do? You know, and and we may have to let people go. So sometimes I find that um. So in my space of work, I call it psychological contract. Mm -hmm. You don't just have an employment contract; you have a psychological contract, and it's never written down. It's so implicit, right? That I'll watch your bag. You watch my bag. You look after my needs. And therefore, I thought that circling back concept to, to better that communication is people must have that self-awareness. I really agree with that. And that self-responsibility, meaning, I mean, 
if I have been with you working for you as a leadership team, I should be so aware about what is happening. Because the decision you make, especially for a leadership team, you talk in the boardroom. We talk about the issue, we talk about the challenges. But it's always people leaving the room and say, no, we didn't have a good effective or effective communication just now. So I thought it, it, the concept of like a seesaw applies so much in the boardroom. Like, are we trying to make people look good or look bad? So I think it requires a lot of that willingness or that humanness, I call it, that humanness to say that this is, we, we do need people no matter where we are. And people are not upset because you tell them to, to go. They're upset because of the treatment, the way you treat the situation. Did you create that self-awareness? Were you responsible? You know, um, and also I think it's vice versa, uh, of course, in two-way communication. Because, uh, and and so I thought those were so important in the world of business. Yeah, that uh, it's so important for us to be able, like what you said, it cannot be one person always have to apologize or one person always have to come. Uh, that I I really like the word about fairness. Mm -hmm. And if people start to feel unfair, as particularly at work, that is even raised to many times of uh, bad communication, like what you said. Yeah, so I have yeah. a question for you about this because I'm thinking about power and hierarchy. That's and right. and um, I'm thinking about, you know, in, in families, uh, you know, I think when parents have to be right and can't apologize and can't reconsider, it's a big problem, right? I mean, there is a hierarchy, there is authority, yeah. but there has yeah. to be some understanding. We're all people here. And if I hurt your feelings, even though I'm your mother, I'm not always right, you know? And, and so that back and forth of being able as the parent, even though you are the authority, to be wrong, to apologize, I just wonder, you know, whether when you say, you know, in the boardroom, it doesn't, you know, if something happens, it doesn't feel good to certain people. How much do you think that people struggle with, how can I have power and be the person yeah. in authority and also admit uh, insensitivity or failure or doubt or, uh, or mm. a sorrow that, you know, I have to do this even though I don't want to. I mean, that vulnerability around we're, we're fellow humans and I'm struggling just as you are. I just wonder if there's a, if there's an issue with, with showing that if you're a person in authority and that that gets this kind of muddied a little bit. Well, excellent question. In fact, research has proven there are two types of power bases. Uh, you have personal power and position power. And here we are talking about position power. How much position power should I exercise? And totally agree with you. Uh, there will be moments that you need to exercise that. And yet research has proven which is more uh, and a more effective enabler is personal power. And what is in personal power very interesting is it requires the person to have a certain values, reference power, we call it. What do I associate you with? If I associate you with, and it goes down back to the values that we hold, and that is one thing that we think that is really important for better communication in the world business is also shared values. Organization, I think, today need to 
to be more concerned about what do we have in common. And that, I think, is a binding force. And when do you exercise your position power? Of course, you can exercise it all the time. But if you look at today, the just the COVID itself, it has no respect for whether you are the CEO or you are the cleaner. We are all affected. It, it comes to a point where I don't know. Somebody said, in fact, I was reading the papers yesterday in, in our Singapore business site. It says that it's COVID, the, the leveler, <laughs> to level the humanity, you know, the, the humanness in all of us, that no matter who you are, we are all affected. And I think people need to start to think that globalization, the global economy, the interdependent relationship is far greater. It's not about position power, um, but it has its place. Huh? I'm not saying that it doesn't have its place, but I would say far more. I think we need to exercise it with a level of maturity. And um, I, I wrote a book called Real Conversation. I could send that across to you. And I actually wrote that, how do you have real conversation in the business world? And I say there are three things, three critical principles you need. You need to be genuine. I think people could smell it, whether you're working, whether you're living together, people know whether you're genuine. And two, I think you need to be honest, right? Timely honesty, um, like what you said. You need to be calm, you know, in any uh, business setting. You know, when you're heated up, you need to come and, and you need to have timely honesty. You're not going to, during that conflict in the boardroom and say, you know what, I'm going to be honest with you. Oh, it's going to be taken into so many wrong ways, even how good your intention is. And I call it a really appropriate and timely honesty. And the last one that I felt that was so important for better communication and for us to address what is really on the table and what is the sense of reality is, I would say, the principle of being mature. I think we all need to come together and say that we are all adults and we have to have a certain level of maturity. It means take some responsibility, be aware. We are not here to make uh, each other look bad, but we have a goal. And like what you said, we have a common goal. And that is the reason why we need to have the right people in the job. Can you imagine if you've got the wrong people on a job because they don't share the same goal, you see? So that is the reason why. Yeah. I have a question for you, yeah. again, in the business world. Okay. Patients. You know, I just sit across from people. I'm not in the business world. And I'm always fascinated with these, these bosses, these people who get to positions of authority yes. who seem kind of like tormentors to other people. In other words, there's a kind of narcissism or a kind of unbalanced emotional life or something. And I'm thinking, I mean, in our country, I would say we have someone like this at the helm, you know, but why is it that people accept being led by people who, who, who kind of um, are impossible in certain ways? I mean, do you have any analysis of that? I mean, you know, of course, there's all these TV shows and comedies yeah. and stuff about these terrible, you know, office places <laughs> and people, people, the, the players at people's jobs are hugely important emotional figures to them. And sometimes, I mean, I hear about a lot of terrible bosses out there. And I'm just curious if you think there's some way in which people get elevated who actually end up 
being very problematic in just these ways you're you're discussing? It's a very interesting question because um, uh, when I first started out uh, in my work, I actually witnessed a situation like this, a tormentor, really at work. I was in a meeting. Oh my, it was so sad to see somebody tormenting their team. And like what you said, I, and it got me really interested to find out why. I have not done enough research, but just my own, um, I would say my own experience uh, as I work with others and I also observe. Uh, and I am in this um, mission to help people to have healthy working relationship, very much like what you said. Like I said, it's not proven yet, but what I found the evidences, it always go back to control. Mm -hmm. Control. In a sense, people don't want to be out of control. Mm -hmm. And therefore, sometimes the need for control is so high that the fear of de being re derailed the fear of being not achieving your objective uh, sort of cloud your your judgment mm -hmm. to be empathetic, to be caring for another human being. And I think um, that is one observation I have. That um, two is because they don't have the competency. They don't know how to manage a collaborative relationship at work. And the only way they learn is, like what you said, um, because the way we are brought up is there's, there's hierarchy. And you, we, we both know there are situations where I'm the authority. And it is so disrespectful because when you, um, you know, people used to say talk back, I would prefer to use the word respond back with a, a, another perspective. People of authority take it as you are not respecting my role. So then the, the communication become like very much what you say, the ego, mm -hmm. the ego in us, because what it means is is equal to the worth. So I did a deep dive uh, when I was uh, writing this book, uh, Real Relationship, and it was so intriguing to say that there is, in my opinion, ego is actually social worth and self-worth. Mm -hmm. And I think people see that their social worth are being hurt. Mm -hmm. And therefore, when they are hurting in their social worth, they are not able to rise to the occasion. And they think that, you know, I need to get the control back, but I don't know how. And sometimes you're in high position. You don't have people to talk to. Mm -hmm. Very much like you're talking about... Um, couples coming to you for therapy. I am a champion that people need to have executive yeah. coaches. Mm -hmm. You need people who are yeah. independent yeah. to walk you through. Yeah. So I, I felt, yeah. So to me, those were some thoughts that I had. Well, I think that your role of helping them have a place to bring their emotions, mm -hmm. I think that that is one of the main ways that we help people not be in what I think you're describing is a seesaw mindset, right? If you question me, yeah. you are canceling out my authority. There's no yeah. room for us to think together about a problem. These are all similar yeah. phenomena. And I think yeah. just as, you know, all of us, if you have nowhere to put 
no place, no one to help hold all this emotion while you sort it out. People mm -hmm. do, I think, revert to that kind of seesaw man mindset. And I think it sounds like in your work, you know, part of what you're helping people do is take the pressure off and be able to have yes. a moment of calm and space to think about the issue. And that does help people move into that more golden ring consciousness, I think. Yeah. Yeah. And, and that also leads us to the last uh, question that I have for you is that, you know, we talk about uh, the need to balance the economic and the emotional needs. Like, really, this is where we are talking about. Because even at work, right, economic needs and my emotional needs. And sometimes, uh, to, to go back just a minute of your question was, why would people want to be led by these people, right? Even though they were under such tremendous pressure. And I think it goes back to the economic. And I think people uh, don't understand that sometimes uh, the economic needs has outweighed being human. Mm -hmm. Meaning people need to give themselves a little bit of um, credit that it doesn't mean it is about technique, I feel. Uh, it is about not just uh, working under them. Um, maybe we should exchange books. I could send it to you, some of these books mm -hmm. that, you know, how do you really have real conversation with bosses like that? Mm -hmm. I believe it's possible. But again, there are things that we all need to do, you know, to take the right steps. And we ourselves have to start to take responsibility and be aware. And I believe all of us are capable because we are made to, to, to have, um, to have, ability right far more intelligent than what we have been created for and therefore that and so let's look at the last question it says that uh, maybe we can just exchange idea how can we you know balancing the economy and emotional need to build healthy relationship and do you see the similarity and differences in the healthy working relationships mm -hmm. Yes. So, you know, I have a chapter in the rough patch about money in, in couples. Yes. And I yes. say that there's this tension in the marriage where um, it is intended to be a relationship of two persons, two equals, two people with complex emotional lives that, that give and are given to. It is also an economic arrangement. Right, we use each other's services. Yeah. You know, there's an element of use, right? That okay. that you're cooking, you're cleaning, you're working, you're, you know, all sorts of things that you're doing uh, services you're providing for each other, and that why I think fairness is so important is it it keeps us in a place of understanding that you know these these services that we're exchanging are in the context of a loving relationship, which includes fairness, right? So I think that what's trickier out in the world, and you know much about more about this than I do, you know, if you live in a capitalist society, as I do, you know, there is a bottom line. And the question of, you know, are people instrumental? Are they cogs in the wheel to create profit? You know, and basically, you know, a lot of our economy has shifted to giving people less and less benefits, less and less 
true respect for their full humanity and what people genuinely need. And maybe COVID will help with this in our country. I don't know. But, but you know, the idea that the social safety net has been slashed, you know, everybody's in the gig economy. And it's basically like it's all about profit, right? So I think that in the workplace, there must be in corporations this constant balancing and questioning and probably the best corporations to work for and the ones that you most like to help are the ones where that humanity that, you know, that these things are all in the mix. It's not like there's only profit and who cares about the people. But of course, if we care about our people, we actually create something better, more useful, more generative, more, you know, more likely to succeed. You know, all these things are not in conflict, but it takes a certain amount of, uh, creativity and, and bravery, I think, to kind of try to balance these off each other. And I think in marriages too, you have to be able to live in that that ambiguous zone. Yes, we're using each other in certain ways, but it's for the greater good of, of producing something of beauty or of meaning. Um, and I, I, I would imagine the best leaders have that, that vision behind them. Excellent. Yeah, excellent. And um, I totally, um, you know, resonate that a lot with you that um, um, truly, if we could actually understand the, the implication and the impact of our behaviors, our responses, what we do to each other. Uh, and, and again, I think having each other um, well-being, I would say, well-being, in consideration and I think you will want to make this a better place, a better world, a better community. So just to 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 sum it all, uh, I I always have this tagline if you care for your people enough, they will care for your business. Mm -hmm. And that was something I really believe that at the end of the day people want you to know that do you really care enough? Mm -hmm. And, and sometimes people find it very hard when they deal with incompetent people or underperforming. It's because they don't know the competency, how to have a real conversation or to address it at the right time. And not at the end of a 12 month in an appraiser session and say that it didn't work. But, but in between, you didn't tell me, right? You keep saying, well done, good job. And then at the end of the appraiser, you say, oh, you're, you're not going to deserve that raise. You're not going to deserve that promotion. So I think people need to understand that care enough. Care enough for even the small things that you do. You know, and the, the words that spoken, the things that you do to, to make sure it's fair, right? The person needs to know that when they are not performing at the right time. And they could, and you must be fair enough to work with them, and not just say, "Now I don't see that you do well." But then it can build healthy working relationship. I feel that if only we can all be honest and say that you know what we're trying to work it out together, and even if it doesn't work out together, you know what we have given each other a fair chance of survival, and when we let each other go, it has been so much of respect. I feel so much of the right treatment. You know so. And, and I have done uh, a lot of work here in this area of change in the same way. People are not upset with change. Mm -hmm. They're upset because how they are, how leaders address their emotional, 
um, curve, you know, when they go through change. Okay, enough. Yeah. 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 I mean, I think what you just described is what we're talking about in terms of that golden ring sensibility. Mm -hmm. And I think it's added to what you say about this emphasis on the word real, right? Like part of what you're saying is you have to be real with people as you go along mm -hmm. because people don't mm -hmm. feel well treated if you blindside them with confusing messages or you sort of end up seeming like you haven't really been honest it, it's very corrosive i think in in any sphere of life in closing i just like to ask for your advice for couples who are working from home and how they can better live together you know i'm i'm, I'm sure it differs country to country and sure. culture to culture in terms of what the pressures are and what the situation is but i have found with the people that i work with and the people who have called me for help um, i really feel that the most important couple advice i've been able to give them mm. is is actually more generally applicable to couple relationships generally but are particularly important right now i think that because people are you know, sheltering at home, often taking yes. on new roles like yeah. homeschooling their children, uh, yes. that there is a kind of um, a heavy burden of responsibility in new ways. I mean, life has okay. kind of calmed down and gotten less busy in certain ways, but it's gotten more demanding in other ways. And I want okay. people to be gentle on themselves in terms of mm. other feeling and, ex and accepting of their emotions, whether they're sad or frustrated or irritated or confused or anxious or whatever. I think acceptance is a hugely useful um, move in managing one's emotions and mm. accepting of the fact that this is hard, that it's different mm. and it's hard. And one of the things I think people need to really respect is the need for space whether that's taking a walk having a moment to just check out right. or chill out you know finding yes. ways because as you said earlier in our previous conversation um that's just built into work life or commuting or you mm -hmm. know when you have kids in school or you're apart from your spouse all day or you have a drive or a subway ride to get back and forth these are moments that you get to be alone or you get to be not in relation or in communication and i feel like people need that they need solitude they need to be left alone and i don't want people to think of that as a threat to the family or threat to the relationship it's right. a really important thing for people to have i guess the last thing i'd say and again i'm sure it varies by culture but in the place i live uh these kids are now home <laughs> both parents mm. are often trying to do a job um, and what I found is it's an opportunity to create more equality and fairness in roles. I think I read a study actually about Japan, which I gather is more gender gendered than many places. And uh, because both parents are working at home, there's more um, beginning to have more of a conversation around who's doing what. Mm -hmm. And I find in the couples that I see, these kind of default roles that people have where maybe the the woman is doing more of the emotional labor of managing the children of the house. This is shifting actually. 
And people are finding, some men are finding they're incredibly happy to be at home more. Uh, some people are saying, you know, they're splitting the homeschooling. So I think there's a really exciting opportunity for couples, whether they're women and men or men and men or whomever they are, to really like revisit the whole question of who does what. And I'm noticing that and I'm thinking it's actually probably a really great development. Mm, thank you so much for the additional uh, tips, you know, because I think that's really helpful. Yeah. And um, again, I want to say thank you so much, uh, Daphne, for taking time. And I know that you have a lot of work and very, very ennobling work, I call it, you. Uh, you know, restoration uh, and reconciliation. And uh, in the same way, uh, my work is also a lot of restoration and reconciliation work that we want this uh, world to be a better place. Well, thank you for, for having me and talking with me. It's really been a delight. Right. Take care. Yeah, we talk soon. Yeah, take care too.